Monday night, and this is Graphic Policy Radio, the podcast where politics and comics meet. This is the podcast for people who fully expect Donald Trump's convention speech to reveal that he's actually Larflees, the orange lantern powered by greed. Don't expect Red Lantern Corps to make an RNC appearance. They are actually far more diverse than the current GOP slate, although they are just as prone to barfing blood. And on the opposite side of the spectrum is today's guest. Um, We are joined by a returning guest, Jeremy Whitley. He is the creator of the original comic series, Princeless, um, and the Order of Dragonette. And right now, he has a story at Civil War II, Choosing Sides. That is my favorite thing I've seen so far in Civil War Choosing Sides. And he has just announced that he will be the writer of a new series called Unstoppable Wasp from Marvel Comics. So, uh, welcome back, Jeremy. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you very much for having me on. Yeah, you're always one of my favorite guests to have. And when you came to us a couple months ago saying that you were going to have some big news, you couldn't quite say what it was. I I did not know that the uh, Unstoppable Off was going to be what it was, but I knew it was going to be some Marvel series or other. I knew it was going to be. So, I'm really honored that you brought that news to us for us to share. And, and uh, yeah, I'm just in such a great thing watching your career really take off. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I mean, it's been, <laughs> it's been kind of a long road. I mean, we're, we're celebrating, you know, the, the fifth anniversary of Princess this year. And, um, oh, wow. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah it, was, it's a, it was a year between, you know, Marvel gigs for me, between, you know, Secret Love last year. Um, and then, you know, doing uh, Civil War, Choosing Sides this year. So it was one of those things that for a while I was just feeling kind of nervous about it, and then, uh, yeah, we had a lot of things kind of spring up all together over the last few months, which, um, you know, <laughs> has uh, put me in a much much happier position <laughs> with uh, what, what I'm writing and how much I have to write, for that matter. That's fantastic. Are there any projects for other publishers that you can talk about that are coming up by any chance? Um, aside from, you know, the usual, which is, uh, you know, my Princess and, and Pirate Princess, both of which are, are still ongoing, um, not, not anything that's, uh, concrete at the moment. Um, there are a couple of, of pitches out there circulating and, um, you know, working their way through folks. I'm, I'm really hopeful about where those are going. I'm, I'm excited about some of the, uh, some of the stuff I'm working on in the creator-owned arena, but, um, hmm. No, other than uh, all this stuff with uh, with Marvel, not not a whole lot else to talk about. I mean, I'm still still been working with IDW on on My Little Pony stuff. Um, I've got a oh, couple right. of uh, oh, right. you know, I did a couple of toy tie-ins for for Hasbro's new line of of pony uh, toys, which you know they're going to be actually like packing in with the toys, which I think is like it's amazing. I haven't seen that since you know I was. <laughs> <laughs> Since I was buying toys, you know. Oh my gosh, that's that a gas. Me being impressed because we have been saying on this show for years, if people want kids to read comics, they have to put them into products the kids are already buying. And if he's got a comic about a toy and a property a kid likes, like package that in, and next thing you know, assuming the comic's any good, the kid's going to be hooked. So I'm really glad that I did was doing that. It's very smart. Yeah, it's it's really fantastic, and you know, it's come about from that um, 
sort of amazing collaboration that IDW and Hasbro have that, you know, um, they, they do so much stuff together. Um, and it's, it's really nice because, you know, to this day, even, you know, a couple of, of my little pony conventions that I've done, there are still people, even at those shows, they're like, Oh, I didn't know there was a comic book of my little pony. <laughs> as, no. as hard as we push and as hard as we talk about it, there's, you know, a group of people that are, you know, outside of, you know, that, that sphere. So it's nice to have it move into this other sphere and, and hopefully, you know, whole new people will discover the, the comics and hopefully end up back at their, their comic shop. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's necessary. And, you know, you're a writer who's definitely been recognized as someone who's good at writing for new audiences. You know, Princeless has been a really big hit among young people and old people and a different kind of a comic, um, which I guess we'll talk about that in a little bit. But I, I want to uh, just sort of hear from you. Um, how did you get started writing the Wasp comic? Was it a, a character that, Mar- that Marvel was looking to have someone write, or had you pitched an idea of a Wasp story? Um, so since you know, since I did um, Secret Love last year, I, I pitched several ideas for different characters to you know a few different editors at Marvel, and um, you know because of timing or number of books or, or market for things, um, you know a lot of them haven't worked out. Um, but basically, I've just been, you know, continuing to knock on doors, and uh, you know that's how the um, how this, the choosing sides book happened. And then um, I have a I have another book or another story for Marvel that I, I've done for an Infinite comic, which I don't think has actually been announced yet. Um, oh, but uh, that dealt with a character that falls under Tom Brevoort's office. And uh, so he had to, to read through it and give approvals. And, um, well, I don't think he's ever said it specifically. I think um, having having that book, you know, reading that and everything kind of uh, put me in a, a good position for him as far as, you know, uh, young female characters. Um, and so, you know, I, I happened to send an email at one point, you know, asking about stuff that was coming up. And uh, I, I got an auto response that uh, Tom was at a, a Marvel creative retreat and I need to be back on X day. Um, and so on that day I sent him an email. that was like, so I know you just been at a Marvel creative retreat. You must be looking for somebody to write something. So what's going on? Tell me about it. Um, and he actually said, you know, actually I think there's an idea of, you know, somebody that we want to do a story for that you'd be great for. Um, and, you know, I'll get back to you on Monday, which is, which is a horrible thing to do to a person. Um, you know, and you're, you're like, oh, there's a, there's a new ongoing series I think you'd be great for, and I'll tell you about it after the break. Um, <laughs> you know, so uh, it was one of those things I managed to survive that weekend and uh, got back to him uh, maybe too early on Monday morning, and she's like, okay, tell me about it. What is it? Um, and they said, you know, they, they were looking to do um, a series with the new Wasp, um, who was introduced in you know, Free Comic Book Day. Um, her name is Nadia. She's um, Hank's estranged daughter that um, nobody knew anything about until recently. But she is also very much modeled after, um, you know, the character of, of Hope, who you know, is Hank's daughter in um, the Ant-Man movie. And they yeah. they wanted to give a version of the Wasp that people who are encountering that character for the first time through, um, you know, through the movies 
would recognize. Um, you know, she has the same sort of um, bangs, same kind of haircut. And, um, well, she's probably a little, I, w- I would imagine she's probably a bit younger than that character is supposed to be. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, she has a, a level of, of excitement and energy that um, I think, you know, that, that character uh, carries along with her. Um, so, yeah, I, I think it was, it was really interesting because I had I'd been reading Mark's, uh, Mark Wade's stuff on all new, all different Avengers where, um, you know, she was just starting up at that point. And um, I, I really liked the idea of having um, you know, this, this character who was um, a scientific super genius on the level of her father, on the level of Bruce Banner and um, all these, uh, you know, male super scientists that the Marvel universe has always been um, full of, but, you know, as a, a young, bright-eyed, optimistic, 16-year-old girl as well. Um, I think that's, I think that's where Tom and I kind of met on the thing. Is you know he was looking for somebody to, to write that kind of character. And um, as soon as, as soon as I, I read all read through what was coming up with her, and I was, well, this is what I'm getting from the character is that she's you know X, Y, and Z. She's you know really excited and optimistic and has great ideas and is, is really really smart. Um, but um, is not at all like these, you know, uh, male super scientists are who are, you know, a little bit older, a little more jaded, a little, uh, in some cases, a little uh, less together. Um, and so, you know, I wanted to to make this a, a book that's sort of a, a fun um, science adventure type of story, um, you know, like the the stories that kind of launched Marvel. Mm-hmm. Well, it's interesting because, you know, this is going to be then the second, um, with Riri Williams, um, the new Iron Man coming out. This is going to be a, the second young female science hero for Marvel in one year. Um, and I think it's definitely a trend that makes a lot of sense. But I'm actually kind of surprised that there's two of them. Like, it's good that there's two of them. But I'm also kind of surprised that there's two. Because um, there's like, so many different archetypes. I think it's, um, I think it's actually three because... Uh, got Moon Girl as well, who's uh, oh, guess, you know, a, little, from last, a little younger, from a little last less established year. in the science world. But, <laughs> she's from last yeah. year, though. <laughs> no, but yeah, it's true. They're, they're, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, and it, it was funny because, you know, the same weekend that, um, you know, I was learning about all this and I was uh, um, finding out that I was going to be, that I was up for doing this book, uh, I just happened to be sitting next to um, Brandon Montclair and Amy Reader and, you know, talking about Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur, um, which, you know, is, is an incredible book that I've, I've been reading with my daughter and she's been enjoying. And um, you know, I, I was thinking, man, I'd love to do a book like that. <laughs> and uh, it, sort of, it all sort of happened in that same weekend. So That's super nice. cool. Um, it, so, like, how much of the personality of this character has been predetermined by still what's been written so far? I actually haven't read any of her appearances Versus how much ability are you really going to have to sort of shape where it goes from here? So um, I think I think they've been pretty pretty generous with that. Um, and part of it is that, you know, her only appearances so far have been in All New, All Different Avengers, which has an entire large cast of people to service. Um, right. And so, yeah, and so every everything I'd read of her, you know, up till... Um, we started working on this was, 
you know, two pages here, three pages there. Um, and I think there's there's some beats of her personality that are there. And I think, you know, for the most part, things we could have easily twisted one way or another. But I, I really liked that um, she has this um, this sort of this uh, this name got tossed around a lot when we were talking about the book. She has this sort of Kimmy Schmidt quality, and that like you know they they both had these sort of terrible things happen to them. And you know Nadia's case, she's literally been you know in the red room being trained to be an assassin and then oh, and basically an evil scientist for for 16 years you know her entire life um oh, wow. and this is really yeah, this is really the first time she's getting to get out into the world and and what i really liked about you know mark's interpretation of her in avengers was that she's not upset she's not bitter she's not um mean which she would have every right to be um she's excited She's excited about the world. She's excited about possibilities. She's um, very, you know, at the same time ecstatic about the world around her um, and has, you know, this whole other level of, of brilliance going on inside her head that, you know, we, we only get small peaks into so far. Um, and I, I like that combination of, you know, both uh, optimism and science. And, you know, I want her to be able to, to be a character that uh, can can shape things for the positive, you know. Oh yeah, definitely. Um, do you, is is this book going to be kind of all ages oriented or like teen? Or what? Uh, you know, since you're actually a parent of a girl, I actually trust your judgment on these matters. <laughs> um. So I I think it's um. <clears throat> I think it's probably. And so I've written the first uh, four issues already, um, mm-hmm. and I, I would definitely say it's it's all ages appropriate. Um, there's nothing in there that um, would be objectionable. Um, I think you know, in some cases it may be, you know, there may be some things that are a little over kids' heads. Um, oh, yeah. But I don't. Yeah. yeah, I don't think there's anything that you know you would be reading it and you know with with, you know, really a kid of any age and, and be bothered by, um, you know, cause I think that's sort of part of the benefit of, of her power set being, you know, also a, a PIM related character. There's, you know, the, the shrinking and the growing and the flying, um, all of which are, are, you know, fairly easy to do, um, fun, all ages stories with. It's not like, you know, she's Wolverine where she's got to go where her power is stabbing people. <laughs> right. That's a good point. That's a very good point. Um, it's interesting because actually, you know, I think right now, like, of Marvel's young female characters, although Wolverine is, she's basically the main young female character they have who is coming from a darker perspective. And, yeah, like, that's tied in a certain way to the fact that her powers can only be used in that context. Um, hmm, that's interesting. That's interesting. Well, I mean, also, I figure her being a character that's growing and shrinking, I mean, that's a really potent metaphor for a lot of young people, I would imagine. I would imagine. Oh, yeah. I mean, absolutely. And it's a, it's a fun thing for us to get to play with, you know, both both from a, a metaphor standpoint and from a, from a visual standpoint. You know, we get to um, play around a lot with with size and um, things like that. We, we found some, I think, some fun... Um, things that 
I hadn't seen done in um, in Wasp or Ant-Man books before to, to do with the um, growing and shrinking powers and sort of new ways to play with it. And, um, you know, I, I think part of it is that we've given her a very, very inventive mind. She's very creative. So, um, you know, she's always sort of coming up with new new ideas, uh, not all of which are great. Um, but, um, <laughs> Who's you know, she's, she's always trying yeah. new things. I think that's a fun thing to play with. Do you have much of a support ca- supporting cast that you're bringing on or that you've inherited? Um, so I've, I've gotten to do something pretty, pretty amazing in that um, – so I, I started writing um, issue one of, of The Wasp, and um, I, I wrote the whole issue, and I, I sent it off to uh, Tom Report and uh, a lot of uh, my, my editors over there at Marvel, and I, I also went ahead and sent it to uh, Mark Wade because I'd been consulting with him about the book at that point. And, um, you know, trying to make sure that I, I got that character's voice right. And um, he he just said, uh, he sent me an email back. It was like, oh, you know, this is a um, fantastic voice. You've got the character uh, really well. Um, you know, <laughs> and I, I have sort of an interesting proposition for you, which is I'm running a little behind, um, and I'm supposed to be doing a um, Civil War II tie-in for Avengers uh that's supposed to focus on Nadia. Um, would you be interested in co-writing that? Um, oh. So, so I got to co-write uh, what is actually issue 14 of All New All Different Avengers, which is out in September, um, with Mark, um, which is a pretty incredible experience, uh, especially totally. as, I'm, as I'm getting pages back from it, which are, are being illustrated by uh, Adam Kubert, which is, not a thing I thought I'd just get in my Dropbox at some point. Um, wow, yeah. I mean, he is like a living legend, you know, and yeah. like comics royalty to the extent such a thing is a thing. Very cool. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and it, I just, you know, occasionally get emails that have uh, art of things that I wrote with uh, his his art, which is uh, crazy. That's really, <laughs> that's really weird. Um, but... Um, it gave me actually a nice chance because Mark had sort of started a story there um, with her that this is sort of the cap to as she's coming back from an adventure that she's been on with, um, with Janet. Um, so it's a, it's a fun story where I get to do both wasps and um, Jarvis is actually in it as well. Um, and I, I think those are both, you know, characters that I really enjoyed writing in that story and are going to, uh, probably carry over at least in some supporting capacity um, to, you know, the main series. Um, but they're also kind of uh, kind of letting me create some some new characters, whole cloth, which are are going to be used for the book, and uh, that's that's really exciting in its own way. And you know, I, I get to contribute some some new um, some new characters, some ones that I'm I'm pretty excited about to you know to the Marvel universe. So hopefully uh, hopefully those will be around for a while. Well, judging at how much everybody falls in love with the new characters you create in the ever expanding cast of Princeless and Raven the Pirate Princess, I have very high hopes for the new characters you're bringing in for the Unstoppable Wasp. 
I don't know to what extent I can ask you questions about things about them, but um, but that sounds really cool. Yeah, I, I can't I can't say a ton about it. I think there will actually be um, so. So the Avengers issue comes out in September. The Wasp series proper uh, won't be uh, launching until December, so um, people have plenty of time to to pre-order that after the Avengers issue comes out. Um, but I think uh, there will probably be some more about those characters and um, in the promotion for you know the main series when that starts up. But you know my my focus with those characters was that I wanted to have. Um, other other characters that uh, really really supported Nadia, and also to make sure that if I was going to do a supporting cast, that they actually reflected New York. Um, you know, they yes. were a, a diverse group of characters. <laughs> yeah, that's that's one of the reasons we love you. Um, that's fantastic. Yeah, that's one of the amazing things about. New York to me is just, um, you know, I, I hadn't, you know, I hadn't been to New York until a couple of years ago when I came to New York Comic Con and like walking through New York and passing from like one neighborhood to the next and seeing not just the makeup of the people change, but like being able to hear like the spoken language on the street be different from neighborhood to neighborhood and like, um, you know, seeing that there are, you know, cities within cities in New York is is sort of an amazing thing to me and you know i wanted to make sure to to capture that so we get you know characters who are sort of spread out from throughout the city um and are are diverse both from a from a character standpoint and from a you know parts of new york standpoint yeah that's really fantastic and i'm you know it's actually you know it's great to have another character who's russian even like just all these pieces are are valuable and I'd love to see her show up in in New York's Russian neighborhoods at some point in time, trying to find food that reminds her of home. Yeah, I. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that would be probably probably complicated memories for her because you know it's even if it does remind her of home, her home was you know uh, not facility. Good. So yeah. 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 Um, you know the other thing it was good to hear is that Janet is going to be that you're writing Janet into something. And I, Janet, Tim is a character that I really feel has enormous potential to be very interesting and has kind of always been treated like the Smurfette of the group. And, you know, there've been flashes of brilliance, but not enough. I would love to see her get some serious treatment as a character who could be potentially a very interesting grown up woman. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think I think there's definitely um things to be done there and you know, I've definitely had since since the book was announced I've had a lot of people ask me about Janet and will Janet be part of the book and you know, to what extent she'll be part of the book and um you know, I, I do emphasize that it's it's very much Nadia's book. Um but it it will you know, we will have Janet in there from time to time and I think Janet is um Janet's really interesting to me uh, to write just because she has so much of a a different standpoint and different point of view than so many of the other characters um, who, you know, when you talk about um, the Avengers specifically, um, 
the, you know, most of those characters come from either a military or a science background. Um, and Janet, you know, is a fashion designer. Like, yeah. she couldn't be more different. Um, and, you know, that's, that's a whole different set of skills and set of interests and um, things like that that you don't often see reflected in those books. And, um, you know, I, I wrote, you know, in the, in the story in Avengers, I, I wanted to, um, I wanted to put us in a position where, where there was a, there's, there's an issue where sort of a, a quandary that, that only Janet can solve, um, you know, using sort of her, her unique set of skills and interests. And uh, I won't say too much about that because I, I think it's a fun bit of the book. Uh, so I don't want to ruin it for anybody, but sure. Um, yeah, I, I love I that really, kind of thing. That sounds awesome. Yeah, yeah, I really, I really like having characters who you know have a different perspective because so much of you know what we see in in comics is is coming from one of a couple of directions, and I I think that's why characters like Spider Man and Ms. Marvel take off is you know Spider Man's not one of those two groups of people. He's you know he's a kid from high school. And, you know, Kamala is, is very much in that, that same vein. You know, she's coming from a different place than anybody else in this story. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Um, well, that's um, just super cool. I, super cool. I, oh, work, what, the artist who's working on your book, is it, who, who's, who's the artist who you're working with? Uh, her name is Elsa Chirapier. I think I'm... Oh, that's that right. Correctly. Sorry, I, I knew yeah. that, and I was excited about it because her stuff is really pretty. She draws women very well. She draws women's clothing that actually looks like clothing that women wear. Um, oh, yeah. That's a great pair for you. Yeah, it was, it was really exciting for me because I had literally finished reading her last issue of Starfire for DC the night before. Um, you know, and so I had read that, and... Um, <laughs> it happened in sort of a weird way, and that uh, I got a. She followed me on on Twitter, and then I, I got a message from her that was like, oh, I can't believe I wasn't following you before this." And I was like, "Oh, hi, good to meet you." Um, and you know, we got into this conversation about like, "Oh, what are you working on now?" And um, she didn't respond to that. And then I got an email from from the editors that were like, "Here, let me introduce you guys." And I was like, "Oh, so you're working on my book? Okay, that's great." Um, <laughs> So yeah, I, I I really love um, you know what she does. I I, I feel like it has almost a, like a Darwin cookie kind of quality to it. Um, uh-huh. I I love Darwin's stuff, and that was you know, that was my immediate reaction when I saw what she was doing on Starfire. Um, it's, it's, I really love that that feel. It's beautiful, and I really think like frankly, if you're selling a comic and comic. And when your audience is going to include girls, then it's probably good to have it be like pretty, frankly. And her art is pretty, and I think that's a, I think that's a good fit. Yeah, and I mean this will will probably end up uh, transitioning over to the the whole um, choosing sides thing a little bit. But um, I, I was remarking recently, uh, especially in relation to the the choosing side story, that there's this current crop of like female artists who have been coming up over the last few years that do amazing things with, with fashion as part of storytelling. Um, yep. You know, that they draw clothes that look like clothes and 
make characters, you know, make statements about characters, you know, other than just like what superhero costumes make. And uh, I I think Elsa is definitely one of those. I think um, Marguerite, who uh, I worked on the Choosing Side story with, was immediately Mm -hmm. a person that I was like, oh, Marguerite is working on this. Let me make sure that she gets the job pretty close. Yeah, I love that. I was so happy to hear you match with her. Marguerite Savage is also one of the other great, really fantastic up-and-coming talents in comics right now. Her stuff is so beautiful. It's a very illustrator sort of look that could be from, like, a classic fashion magazine, I think. And oh, yeah. I remember you I mean, saying... She has that fashion art background. Oh, Sorry? of course, yeah. And you, I remember you saying when you first get matched with her, like, I have to make sure I give her pretty street outfits for folks to wear. And it's there. So, yeah, I guess we should talk about your Choosing Sides story uh, for a little bit, which I just read, and it was a lot of fun. I love your writing of Storm, like, so much. Um, also, also your I, I think it's fantastic. I was having a conversation with someone on a podcast the other day who had said that it felt like Storm, because she was the preeminent African superhero, and like one of the only black superhero characters that people really know had kind of been forced to just be perfect in every way. And, you know, as much as I heard what this person was saying, I also wanted to point to all these examples of like writers who have done things that were interesting with her. And if she was just sort of a bland paragon of womanhood or whatever, I don't think she would be able to have a voice like the one that you've given her in the story. Um, but a lot of writers don't do it, frankly. Yeah, I think you did. Well, thank you. Yeah, I mean, it was it was a, a, a kind of a, an interesting challenge for me because when I um, first first got the assignment from um, from Will Moss, who's my editor on that, uh, um, what he asked me for was um, you know come up with some ideas of, of characters that um, you know would have interesting and different um, reactions to, um, you know, the, the events of, you know, the first issue of Civil War. And at this point, we're three months past it. You know, when, when uh, Rhodey dies, you know, we, we wanted to set some stuff sort of around the funeral and, um, you know, talk about, have diff- you know, have ideas of a character or two that might... Um, that might react differently from what we were seeing in the big tie-ins, you know, because obviously um, Iron Man's reaction is, is pretty well covered. Uh, yes. You know, <laughs> Captain Marvel's reaction is pretty well covered. Like those, those stories are told. Um, so we wanted to, uh, he wanted to, to do something a little different. And I, I came up with this, this list of characters um, that I really liked. And, um, you know, he kind of whittled it down to four. Um, I think I had five or six at first. And he's like, I think these four characters are both, are all really good ideas. Your, um, your pitches for them are good. Uh, instead of doing one eight-page story, why don't you do, you know, basically four stories in this eight-page um, story? Um, so, yeah, that, that suddenly got much more intimidating. Um, and... So, you know, what we ended up settling on initially is um you know, these these four these four characters, um, you know, Ms. America Chavez, um, Misty Knight, 
uh, Monica Rambeau. And interestingly enough, um, our fourth character at first was uh, the thing, was Ben Grimm. Um, because I had this idea of, you know, Rhodey is a Marine, Ben is a Marine. Um, you know, he would have this sort of connection of, you know, he'd, he'd want to go out and sort of drink with, you know, other Marines and, and toast to, to Rhodey. And um, yeah. Yeah. I had this whole this whole story where like he sort of uh Ben ends up you know, pulling in uh Blue Marvel who's an ex Marine and um staging a, a fake uh police um call uh to to get uh Punisher and Moon Knight out to drink with them because he knows that's the only way they'll show up is if they're coming to, to stop a horrible crime. Um, so, so he, he gets them to, to come out and, you know, the, the four kind of ex-Marines that are prominent in the Marvel Universe right now, um, sort of sitting around and, and sharing, you know, war stories and roadie stories. Um, and yeah, we had, I, I wrote the story and everything, really loved it. Uh, and then it turned out uh, Ben was going to be in space at the time the story was taking place. God damn it, um, Ben. Why are you so, in space again? Don't you know that's where bad things happen to you? <laughs> yeah, so he's he's out running around with the Guardians of the Galaxy, so he couldn't do that. Um, so, you know, they... Uh, in in the meantime, while I'd been writing this stuff, I'd gotten a copy of, uh, I think it's Captain America number 11, where the actual funeral for James Rhodes happens, and there's a, a group of, um, you know, major black characters from the Marvel universe who are her there with Sam, um, you know, drinking and, and talking after the, uh, after the funeral. And, um, you know, Monica was already there and Misty was already there and storm was there. And I thought, why didn't I think of storm? <laughs> like, you know, storm is, is a perfect character for this story. And that point I have, you know, four, four women of color instead of, you know, three women of color and a guy made of rock. Um, and so, um, and I was like, Storm is literally the best Marvel character. Like, yes. why why would I pass up that opportunity? So uh, I, I pitched that idea to to Will, and he's like, Oh yeah, go ahead and go ahead and write that. And um, yeah, and so I, so I got to write a two page Storm story, which I think is um, maybe my my favorite part of that story, if nothing else, just because. Uh, Marguerite draws her so beautifully, um, and as, as much as as much as you were saying you liked the um, the narration and her voice in that section, like I, I literally had to cut out half of her section because it was covering art that like I could not cover. <laughs> so you know, I had to cut out chunks of what she was saying just to uh, just sort of honor Marguerite's art, which is so amazing. Mm. Well, I'm glad you made the choice. You know, you don't want to completely go the full overblown <laughs> comment text section. Um, but yeah, I like that. You know, it really is a love letter to Philadelphia, and I, 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 I feel like I heard you say something about how you came up with that idea. Do you want to share that a little bit? Um, yeah, I, I think so. You know, what I was playing with a little bit is. Um, you know, there's the the version of the funeral that's in the story. It's very somber and very serious, and everybody is, 
you know, justifiably torn up about it. Um, but, you know, I was, I was thinking about Storm and the fact that, um, you know, in in a number of, of different cultures that, you know, funerals are much more opportunities to um, recognize, you know, the, the life and accomplishments and you know, the amazing things of, you know, that a, a person has done rather than to, to mourn their passing. Um, and I thought Storm was a, a great character to tell that story with. Um, and, you know, so I, I wanted to give her, you know, that unique perspective of, of something, uh, of somebody who, who just wants to sort of, um, sort of praise and illuminate what James has done. And she decides to, you know, go out and see his city, to see where he's from um, in Philadelphia. And um, I, I think it it has this uh, sort of amazing, warm feeling to it of, of you know, really getting to know uh, getting to know where Rhodey is from, you know, through Storm's eyes. And, um, you know, Storm is, is such an amazing and, and sort of deep character that, um, you know, I, I couldn't think of a better way to, um, you know, to, to pay homage to Rhodey and to Philadelphia for that matter than to, you know, give, <laughs> give everybody the opportunity to see this through Storm's uh, ever optimistic eyes. Hi, sorry, I was realizing that I was on mute. I was on mute. <laughs> I really anyway, um, so I was saying, uh, had you done any like research in Philadelphia, or, like asking friends sort of what are the things they love about the city, or? Um, you know, I have a few friends who are from Philadelphia, and um, I, I feel like I sort of had a similar experience to. Um, to storm in this, and that like um, when uh, when the first volume of, of Princess got nominated for uh, the Glyph Awards, I, I went up to Philadelphia, and it was the first time I'd ever been to Philadelphia for uh, for the Glyph Awards and for uh, the East Coast Black Age of Comics convention that goes with it. And um, you know, we had this we had the ceremony to go to, but we had a whole chunk of free time and. Um, Philadelphia is, is sort of amazing in that there's just sort of uh, history on top of history on top of history there. So you can't you can't stumble down the street without being somewhere significant. Um, and, yeah. You know, I, I I thought it'd be um, you know interesting to sort of revisit that with her because I, I think you could literally I mean that story could be 20 pages just of, of the things that are in Philadelphia to see and do. Um, and you know we you get a little bit of the the sports we get a little bit of uh the cheesesteak you know <laughs> sort of touch a lot of the the major bases of i think what makes philly philly very cool very cool i i'd love to hear like why do you consider why storm the best uh the best uh superhero character in marvel um you know storm's been a, a character that i've just i've been in love with for decades like I um, you know I love a lot of the stuff that uh, Claremont has done with, had done with her over the years and you know has been a character that even you know even after um, Claremont stepped away from the books has still been 
pretty consistently awesome and has been um, handled really well, I think, by some of the by some of the best writers and illustrators, um, and just has this um, great great capacity for interesting stories, and in that she's um, she's as close to all powerful as as you know X Men especially get. You know, she she can control the weather. She can, depending on who you're reading, pull the air out of people's lungs. You know, she has that mm-hmm. kind of power. Um, and she's also, but she's also the one who doesn't. She's you know generally the gentle one. She's the one who, um, I mean, she's I, in a lot of ways she's the closest thing to uh, at least a traditional Wonder Woman that the Marvel universe has. And that she is always the person who will, um, who will talk and who will educate and who will um, take every possible step she can before fighting and killing people. Um, and she doesn't have to. Like she has, she has as much power mm-hmm. as you could you could want any character to have. Um, but she, she decides to look for better ways. She decides to, you know, do the right thing um, regardless of the situation. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. But you also give her you know, some that's space. something I've always right. loved in Wonder Woman and something I love in her <laughs> even more because mm-hmm. you, you get, you know, uh, you get that added sort of uh, tribulation both of, of being a mutant and, um, you know, of having grown up with, with a troubled childhood and having, you know, lived in on the streets in some pretty rough places. Yeah. And yeah. definitely. And you also get a couple good moments of her humor in the story as well. So that was cool. It was very stormish like humor, which I think is appropriate. Um, but it was so great to have you unite America Chavez and Hawkeye in the story together. I know that that was on the to-do list. And uh, already been catching observations from various shippers on the internet. Um, why do you think folks enjoy these two characters together so much? Um, you know, I, I think <laughs> I think it's Kieran's fault. Um, yeah, uh, you know, Kieran and, and Jamie. <laughs> I I will co-sign that observation that everything is Kieran's fault. Um, you know, I think they have this, um, you know, both of them are, are sort of amazing and, and badass in their own way to begin with. And they have this sort of playful back and forth between the two of them, um, you know, from the beginning where, you know, um, America is the, you know, is, is the more hard ass and, and gung ho one, which is something Kate's actually used to being like Kate is used to being the person who, uh, is at the front rushing into things head first. Um, America does it more and better. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And um, I, I, I think that that sort of playful relationship between, you know, the two of them uh, is, is sort of where it starts. And then, you know, you get a lot, you get a lot more between the two of them in, you know, the last few issues of the series and, a lot more is is hinted at, and you know, is, uh, you know, it's never been exactly delivered on. Um, 
you know, I, I think that is they're they're a pairing that I, I really like a lot as well, and I know a lot of other people are very attached to that pairing. Um, and I'd I'd love to see you know more people do more with it. Yeah, I I feel like they have this real potential, potential to sort of have like a dynamic, like from the old sitcom, you know. Oh yeah. That's sort of a vibe that I I got. Um. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, you know, I uh, <laughs> talked about before the fact that I I wrote uh, a Kate and America story that uh, for you know, for the uh, Secret Love book that never never ended up seeing the light of day. Um, just uh, again, that was Kieran's fault uh, <laughs> 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 because uh, you know it's it's established canon that America there's literally only one one America Chavez for all of the multiverse and she was busy elsewhere so uh, she she couldn't be in my story yeah I would have I, 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 I understand that but it truly is the secret love that has her name wait I'm picturing that god damn it god damn it anyway um so yeah, I, I'm really like I feel like you really get them, and, and anybody who's a fan of these characters absolutely needs to pick up this comic. It's so great seeing them with Marguerite Savage's art, and you kind of showing how they walk through the sorrow of uh, his death, of words of death together. And then obviously, I'm super happy to see you have Nasty Knight again, and I feel like you also kind of put a stamp on. What was the end of her relationship with Danny? I think I hadn't really been clear on like what that breakup had been, and I don't really know to what extent it had been covered in the comics. But it was gratifying to sort of hear from you, you know, like that was this relationship, and now she's having a new one, and kind of what the dynamic was that she was ending for. Yeah, I mean that's that was something that that bothered me a lot too. Um, you know, because I, I think because of the nature of comics, you know, we got a couple of stories that were happening sort of simultaneously, um, you know, post immortal iron fist that, you know, you know, you've got, you know, her heroes for hire series where you know, she had a magical miscarriage and they broke up and then, you know, in fearless defenders, they're kind of together. And then, in you know the uh, the last Iron Fist book, which I, I can't remember the name of um, uh, the something weapon. Um, yeah, there there's not even any mention of, of Misty in that book. Um, so I, I felt like it was in a kind of a weird place. And then with uh, you know things going on with uh, with Sam and her in Captain America, um, I, I thought it would be nice to have. Uh, sort of a moment where, you know, that's that's said aloud because it's never quite said aloud in the books, and you know, that's sort of hinted at in Power Man and Iron Fist now that you know, Misty and Danny haven't spoken in some time, um, and you know, I, uh, I I would love to write more with Misty and, and explore sort of what's happened with that relationship more at some point, but. Um, you know, in this, in this case, I think it provided sort of a nice opportunity to uh, cap that off, and uh, you know, let her let her be what she is now in the you know other books, and sort of say that it's not really about 
whose girlfriend she is. It's about her being misty and, you know, not not waiting around for other people, not waiting around for, is that she puts it, super-powered men to uh, decide what to do. Yep. 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 I, I, I thought, like, I, I thought like you had written something that I had felt like I had needed to see like before, and I was just really happy to have it happen. And I think that you're such a good writer of, of Misty Night. I was, I was just really glad to have it be put to paper in that way. Yeah, and I, I've, I've made you know no bones about the fact that my, my version of Misty Night is, is kind of my wife. Um, no, mm-hmm. she's, uh, she's a lot like my wife. She sounds a lot like my wife. Um, and, you know, the, the conversation that, that takes place in, in that book between um, her and her mother is uh, very much very much reminiscent of several conversations I've, I've heard between, you know, uh, my wife and her mother, um, especially because it's um, – that, that was sort of the inspiration for the Misty Knight story in that is that, um, you know, when, when things go wrong and, and Misty feels sort of um, – you know, very upset about James's death and, you know, is trying to sort of reason out why, um, you know, she, uh, she calls her mom, um, which, you know, is, I think a very common thing among like real people, um, mm-hmm. that is ne- almost never happens in comic books. Um, <laughs> I think, you know, I think Superman is maybe the only, the only person who ever goes and talks to his mom and dad when things are going poorly. Um, oh, that's so true. Well, that's if everybody else's parents are dead. Yeah. Yeah, and that's, and, you know, it, it gave me an opportunity to uh, sort of add something to canon that had always bothered me um, and that um, Misty Knight has this unfortunate quality of, of having been a character um, who was introduced in somebody else's book and who has just sort of pieces of her person missing um, you know, and we don't know anything about Misty's family. We don't know anything about, um, you know, really Misty pre her being a detective and losing her arm. Like, you know, we know so much about Danny's family and about Danny's past, and um, we never get that from Misty. So, you know, <laughs> just allowing her to, to have a mom in the story, um, you know, was kind of a big thing for me. So did you kind of invent her mom, like, existing, basically? Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, oh, that's so, so sweet. I, I invented her mom for <laughs> for a pitch for a Misty Night story that has never actually happened. Um, which, you know, who knows, somewhere down the line um, it may. But, um, you know, it was a big part of my pitch for, for doing a Misty Night series is, is filling in those um, gaps and things you don't know about Misty that you know about, you know, literally everybody else around her. Like, you know, we, we haven't, there was a whole story in, um, uh, Mighty Avengers about Luke Cage's dad. Um, so, you know, we know about Luke's dad. We know about Danny's parents. We know, um, you know, about all these, all these people's lives before this, but Misty had sort of that, that sort of gaping hole in her character, <laughs> Um, which, you know, is sort of directly a result of her being, you know, sort of a black exploitation character in, in her invention and, and not, you know, not being a real person in a lot of ways. Yes. Oh, this is so good. 
<laughs> I, yeah, I mean, I also just want to say that I frequently have conversations with women who feel really, like, walled off from how invisible mothers are in comics. Um, how, and this is not just in comics, it's true of narratives in general. Like, everybody's mother is dead. That's what makes them a protagonist, Right. Um, and you've gone yeah. and kind of done the opposite and you've given a character a mother who didn't have one before. Um, so that's good. Yeah, I, I, I think... Like the world. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think, you know, coming all the way back around, it's, it's going to be something that's, I don't know, interesting in, in Wasp because, you know, her... Um, yeah, her Nadia's mother is is dead and died off panel some fifty years ago in, um, you know, publishing history, but you know, uh, sixteen years ago in in comics history, and um, you know, so this is a character who's who's never had a mother, um, and that you know has the the closest thing to you know a, a motherly relationship or a parental relationship that she's ever had with you know some of the some of the adult. Avengers characters like Janet and Jarvis and, um, you know, characters like this. And she's also, you know, she's also sort of grown up idolizing Hank and has this very, um, very rosy science-based view of, of what Hank is like. And, uh, still, you know, Hank is, is <laughs> currently, currently dead in the comics. Um, so she, uh, she has this idea of, of what Hank was like. Um, and I, I think there's a, there's a line in, in Avengers 14 that's, uh, that Janet, Janet just says, uh, you know, it's, it's so great that Hank's not around to ruin her idea of what Hank is like. Uh, and it's, yeah. it's kind of, yeah, it's, it's an interesting thing with the parents in comics. So, Wow. I, I'm so excited for these. Like, I, yeah. I, I think these are really exciting books. And I, I do want to make sure we put in a little bit of time to talk about the grand saga that is Princeless and Raven the Pirate Princess. Um, you know, I, you know Prince, Princess Princeless began as a specific contained narrative story about a princess who saves herself and recruits her dragon and goes to free the other princesses. And it's really grown into like the princeless verse. Because you have so many characters yeah. and stories and plot moments. Do you call it the princeless verse? Um, I, I don't know that I've ever called it that officially, but I, I definitely will now. <laughs> Yay! Well, I'm glad this is helpful in some way. Because um, that's what I refer to it as this book. Um, I generally speaking, like for me, if I'm talking to a fellow adult looking to read the book themselves as an adult, I actually do tell like, like get Raven the Pirate Princess because I think that even though there's important parts of her character that are in princeless, like I think it is a, a, a fine jumping off point. But um, but yeah, you've had this really huge expanded world. Are, are there future additional lead characters that you think are hiding out there? Are there other writers you might ever bring in to write those other characters? How big is this going to get? Um, it's definitely something we've talked about. And I, I think, um, you know, I absolutely have some plans after we finish the, um, you know, the main princeless story, which is, is really 
um, only only a few volumes from being out um, at this point because um, you know we're halfway through volume five right now um, and we have volume six I, I have that written and then um, seven will cap off that main story um, you know of, of her rescuing her sisters so um, I, I think after that we're definitely going to you know, take a look at um, sort of expanding it in different directions and, and doing some different things and um, either you know pulling in some of the characters we've created um, and having them go on new adventures or uh, you know also bringing in some new characters um, and I, I'd love to have um, you know, other people be able to work within within the Princelessverse. Um, you know, because right now it's it's very much a, a question of like, I don't, I don't really, like, because it's a creator own book. You know, I don't I don't get paid up front, and uh, you know Emily doesn't get paid up front. We we get all sort of back end stuff at this point, and that works out all right for us. But it's uh, not always <laughs> not always a great proposition when you're bringing in other people. Um, so you know, at the point that we can uh, afford, I think between us and Action Lab to um, you know, have have other books and have other people making them. I'd, I'd love to do that. I mean, because we're, um, I think last time I was uh, on here, we were actually talking about the um, the charity anthology that we're doing, and um, you know, that is my my first experience having other people write inside the the princess world, um, and that's that's been really interesting for me. Uh, it's taught me that I'm a terrible editor, uh, but that should never be a job that I, I try to do. Um, but that it's it's really given me a chance to uh, to see kind of what other people see in the stories and um, see them come at it from different angles. Really cool. Um, I mean, personally, like I just uh, Raven, the Pirate Princess, has been a huge hit for me. Um, really enjoyed it and continuing to enjoy it. I just love her supporting cast. Uh, not just a, Katie King, that's part of it. I mean, Kate, Katie King, of course. Yeah. I've, I've spoken about her before. That continues to be true. Um, you know, it's just great to have a great, big, strong woman in the cast. Who's also like really yeah. nerdy in a very adorable way. Yeah, I, I love Katie, and she's very much inspired by a, a few of my friends, um, and. Yeah, I like having her be, you know, sort of, sort of unapologetically large. Um, you know, she doesn't, uh, she doesn't always fit um, in, you know, different scenarios. But she's, um, she's still, you know, the first one there. She's still uh, the the person of of the crew that you can count on the most. Um, and she's, you know, she's got everybody's back, and everybody else loves Katie. Um, and I, I think she's definitely been a, a character that the the fandom, such as it is, has responded very well to. Um, you know, both from a, a perspective of, of loving her for being you know, big and nerdy, and uh, from perspective of, of just loving her. <laughs> hmm. Yeah, because you know, comics for a medium that is built around people having fist fights, frankly. Uh, there aren't a lot of women who actually look like they could fight you and, like, leave a yeah. dent in your flesh. And K- Katie is one of those. So, 
I'm always happy to have her there. Uh, for folks who yeah. I, for folks who haven't been following closely enough, um, you had mentioned basically you had seen Gwendolyn Christie, you know, in um, who plays Brienne of Tarth in Game of Thrones, and we're like, yes, but what if there was one like her, but happy, essentially? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, you know, Brienne of Tarth without the the mounds and mounds of trauma piled on top of her um, you know, is is what I wanted to go for with Katie. Um, and, and I, I think we've fairly successfully done that. Um, and you know, it's, it's been really interesting because I, I started that story with sort of our, our main five in, you know, Raven, Katie, Sunshine, Jimena, and Jayla, um, you know, who, who all sort of get introduced in that first arc. And then I, I had the amazing, amazing, time of, of being paired with some, uh, you know, some, some just fantastic artists in, in Rosie and Ted on that book, um, Rosie Higgins and Ted Brandt, who, uh, you know, brought me the question of, okay, so you said there's the rest of a, a crew. How many people is that? Um, <laughs> my answer was, I don't know. Um, however many people you need to run a ship and, um, they, they went and researched it and came back and were like, okay, you need this many. Uh, what what should they Aww. look like? And yeah, my my answer was like, just just the most interesting and diverse group of characters we can get. Like, you know, it's, it's specific that I wanted, you know, um, I wanted one of the characters to to have a hijab, and I wanted, um, you know, to have short characters. I wanted. Uh, you know, characters who are more full-figured and characters who are, um, you know, just really, who are, who are legitimately thin, not comics book, you know, comic books like hourglass figure thin. Um, you know, yeah, people who are... Like thin, like straight up and down thin. Yeah. Yeah. Or, you know, in the, in the case of, like, the character of Sid is, uh, she's very small. Um, you know, she has a small frame and um, she's very short and um, you know, and Sid, I think, is a sort of an amazing example of, uh, you know, I got these, um, I got these designs back, and I was like, okay, I have to make stories for all of these characters. Like, I don't want any of these characters to be just generic background people. Um, so, yeah, I mean, Sid ended up being our, um, our, our deaf engineer for the crew. Um, and that's, that's been another like amazing thing is that I was like, all right, you know, every, every time Sid talks in the scene, we have to have her do sign language. Um, and it's, you know, something that I, I threw at Rosie and Ted and they came back with uh, amazing, you know, ASL on the page. Yeah. That must've been really like research project to do. And, and I, I can see how much it paid off. And I, I, I imagine that other, people haven't put in the time, but they really need to. It's important. Have you gotten a lot of fan praise from the deaf community? Or? Yeah, I mean, there's been a lot of people that are, are really excited about that. I mean, we did, um, you know, there's even even people that don't read the book and, you know, don't read comics um, are, are really excited about the fact that there is, you know, a character in this uh, adventure comic who is deaf and who does sign language and, um, you know, is, 
it's sort of an amazing person above and beyond that because, you know, there's this, um, I think it's a six-panel grid of, of her um, talking to Jayla because, you know, Jayla has a um, sort of a, a traumatic, um, you know, hearing loss in one of the volumes and she, you know, is, is teaching her sign language and Jayla, who is, who is a genius, who is used to understanding everything, is having a really hard time picking it up. And, um, yeah. you know, there's a, yeah. a bit with, you know, her basically, um, you know, calling Jayla to task and, and signing, you know, you can do this. Um, you know, look at me, you can do this. And um, I think that's a kind of a, a powerful series of images that have been floating around a bit. Yeah, actually, speaking of powerful images, you know, Tumblr loves you. You love Tumblr. Um, what do you think the role of Tumblr is in supporting diverse comics art? And do you, you know, you know, worrying about, quote, content, quote, getting misused versus the value of having people having, like, a living, active, breathing conversation around your work? Yeah, I, you know, I've never been terribly worried about people sharing my stuff online. Um, I don't like, you know, mass pirate sites where they just, every time an issue comes out, they just put it up for free. But, you know, I have no problem with people sharing, um, you know, pages in a story or, um, you know, telling people what, what they like or what inspired them about the book. Um, yeah, because I, I think that's – a lot of people tend to be really sensitive about it, and I, I understand that in some cases it's an issue where, like, um, you know, credit gets taken off the um, – off of art especially, and, you know, people can't can't actually get back to support the creator. Um, and that, you know, that's a problem. But um, I think for me my experience with Tumblr has been, like, you know, somebody will, will post – a couple pages of the story that they really like and um, and it'll get passed around and they, you know, have people react positively to it and then those same people pop up a week later saying, oh yeah, I bought all volumes of pencils that I could find and I I love the series and, you know, I'm reading it regularly on Comixology now or um, things like that. You know, I, I tend to sort of assume the best of people and, you know, if people have the money and ability to support the book. Um, you know, I, I hope they will. Um, and if, if they don't, then, you know, checking it out through Tumblr or, um, you know, reading a friend's copy of a book, checking it through the library, whatever. Um, if the only way that they can, if they can get it, then, you know, by all means, I'd, I'd rather they be reading it than not. Oh, yeah. Aww. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, and you have really great conversations with people. It seems like the fandom active on Tumblr, I mean, it's 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 pretty female. Um, yeah. It seems fairly young, but it's hard to know. Yeah, it's um, you know, it's it seems. I, I think the age varies a bit. Um, it's it's pretty female, and uh, <laughs> especially, I mean, and this is the case with. Princess as well, but especially since um, you know Raven's been coming out, my my following is pretty queer too. Um, yeah, you know, yeah. That's 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 nice because you know I've um, 
I, I do my best with you know, Raven, especially, and with other books where I have, um, you know, LGBT characters to uh, to talk about that with, you know, talk about those characters with people who who have been through, you know, those things firsthand, and to um, workshop those uh, those stories and those characters to make sure um, that I'm not, you know, that I'm not either doing it poorly or stepping on landmines that I'm not aware of. Um, yeah, the, I was having a conversation about you know, LGBT characters earlier and uh, the, the TV show, the 100 came up and uh, mm-hmm. how, you know, how sort of, how there was this, this huge reaction to, uh, you know, the, the LGBT pairing in that show. And then uh, the subsequent, almost immediate death of one of the characters in the relationship. And, um, yeah, that there's, there's a sort of misinterpretation, I think, by, by the writers and creators of, of them thinking people were telling them they couldn't tell the story they wanted to tell or that, um, you know, they were, they were doing it wrong somehow. Um, when it was really just, to my eyes, profound disappointment. Like, um, you know, that these characters had, or these people had found characters in a story that they related to and that they loved and um, that it had clearly been made by somebody who just, in the end, just didn't get it. Like, didn't Mm -hmm. understand that what they were doing was um, both, you know, painful to the people watching it, but uh, ultimately tropey and, and overdone. Um, yeah, it was not actually can... very good. <laughs> yeah. They're like, let me tell my story. Uh, and it's think... like, yeah, but your story's not actually very good because of the tropes. Yeah. I think, you know, there's this, um, there's this unfortunate thing now where a lot of uh, especially straight writers want to, want to tell, um, gay romances and they want them all to be Romeo and Juliet. Like they're then, you know, gay, gay people and gay men and lesbians are the new, you know, star crossed lovers. And, um, you know, they have to have these, these great romance stories that have to end tragically, um, which is such uh, a view of a person who's never been in that sort of relationship and has not bothered to uh, think about the fact that there are, there are people who are, um, you know, living that reality every day who already have in real life a much larger percentage of, of pain and suffering and discrimination than um, they have uh, any, any right to have to go through um, and that the pile fictional pain and suffering on top of that is, is not at all helpful. Yeah, I mean... I, yeah, I, it seems like, you know, the conversations that you have with folks in your real life and social media, you know, they're all part of informing your work to have it be a better reflection and better art, you know? Um, yeah. There's, there's I mean, lots I, of... I, Go ahead. I, I look at it as, as um, and I, I've said this on panels and, and in interviews before, and I'm sure as a... Um, the basic amount of, of homework that you should do when you write anything. Um, like you wouldn't, 
you wouldn't go into writing, you know, a World War II story not knowing anything about, you know, the battles that were supposed to be going on at the time, not knowing anything about, you know, um, what sorts of people were there or, um, you know, what was actually going on in, in history or, or what uniforms people wore. Like, those are all, you know, basic research elements that you would you would do in any sort of uh, drama where you were telling stories about people who had had experiences that you have not had. Um, and I think that writers owe, uh, you know, uh, people in, in the minority and, and people, um, you know, LGBT characters and, and readers the same the same sort of courtesy that they would extend to, you know, fictional historical characters. You know, if you haven't been through that experience, you have the obligation to understand it. You have the obligation to talk to people who have been in that experience. And, um, you know, you wanting to tell your story is not an excuse for um, doing so poorly. Thank you. That's just such an important thing, and I think that not enough people hear that. Um, I mean, people want to be able to include diverse characters, but there's just putting in the work somehow rather than having it just erupt from your head as if there's no outside cultural influences shaping how you portray somebody, you know, is getting to be this problem in portrayals. And, it's interesting too, like, you know, there's characters who we've thought of in the past as being good representation who like, you know, now when you're looking at actual people from those communities weighing in on the problems they always had with them, you realize that like, oh, there were all these things that we were missing and maybe our standards were too low. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, there's, there's a lot of, of things that are missed and, um, I think in a lot of cases they're they're missed with the best of intentions. Um, you know, I've, I've had conversations with editors about um, you know telling stories about about gay characters or you know bi characters for that matter characters mm-hmm. um, with some sort of very gender identity or sexuality, and um, there's this. There's this idea from from editors that when you tell stories about those characters, that they have to be stories about gender identity and sexuality. And I don't think that's the case. Um, you know, it's it's like not every story where your main character. I mean, it sounds stupid, but not every story where your main character is female do you have to have a chapter about periods. Um, so, like, why would you think that's any different with you know, with a gay character or with uh, a trans character, that like you just have to have a very special episode at some point about, uh, you know, about sexuality. So this is something that Magdalena Asagio, who was our guest uh, last week. Oh yeah, I, I love Mag. Last week. Oh my gosh, she's amazing. Um, you know, was really saying, and I think I agree with this, that there's certain kinds of stories that, you know, white writers shouldn't telling about black people or men should not be writing about women or LGBTQ, you know, straight people shouldn't be writing LGBTQ people because they won't 
be able to actually present that part of it, no matter what work they do. Um, I mean, do you have any thoughts about, it sounds like that's in line with what you're saying here, but I suppose we're going to have to elaborate on that at all. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's, um, I don't know, I'm I'm sort of of split on it in that I I think it is definitely not something that um, people who who have not had those experiences uh, need to attempt to tell in a vacuum. Um, You know, they can't, they can't just uh, say that, oh, yeah, like my, you know, my history having dealt with this other issue, um, you know, gives me a, a direct line to what people are going through here. Um, that doesn't doesn't work. I mean, it's you know, for for all the for all the fields that might cross over, um, I think trying to um, trying to make. Uh, uh, trying to make other people's stories about you uh, very rarely ever works um, well. And, you know, when it's when something like, um, you know, like talking about trans characters going through transition and things like that, um, you know, I, 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 I think those stories need to be told, but I think there are certainly elements of those stories that should be um, told by or at least with the input of trans people. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and I, I think yeah, that's, that's something I, I'm very, like, I have a, a very sort of real realization of and that like I, you know, I, I was talking to uh, somebody about um you know, transitioning and things like that. And I was saying, you know, I don't, I, I admire um, people who, who feel strongly enough about, you know, their identity to go through something like that. Like, that is not something um, that I can relate to. Like, you know, I, um, I've, <laughs> I've never felt that strongly about anything in my life that I've, would put myself through, um, you know, both the the physical strain and the social strain of, of you know, making that sort of change. Um, and I, you know, I, I would not ever try to to guess at what that's like. Um, but that, that doesn't. I think I think there has to be a, a distinction that I think a lot of uh, writers who who are on the the other side of this have to kind of make between like, okay, well, we can't tell a story, you know, we can tell stories about trans characters without them being stories about transitioning, you know? Transitioning, exactly. Like, yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. not, that's not literally the entire life of a trans person. Like, um, and I think that some of that comes from, I think, curiosity and, confusion on the part of, you know, the people doing the writing and the, they don't mm-hmm. understand and they they want to understand, but they focus on the wrong parts. You know, it's a lot of focus on surgery and 
the tactile elements of, of being trans as opposed to like the the actual experience of it. Yeah, it's sort of exoticizing. It's yeah, you know. So, well, I'm I'm glad that you're like actually like thinking and engaging on these things. I I want to thank you again for joining us on the show today. I just Brett and I are both huge fans of your work, enjoying what you're doing. I enjoy all the contributions you make on panels as well. Like, I I want your voice to be out there as as much as I can. So we'd love to have you back anytime. Thank you. It's my pleasure, and I, I, I love doing it. So you know, maybe we'll get a we'll get a chance to talk about Wasp once it's actually out there in the open. Indeed, indeed. And um, in the meantime, would you care to tell our listeners where they can find you on the internet? Yeah. So the the two places where I am the most readily available are uh, Twitter, where I am at jrome58. So it's J R O M E five eight. And uh, on Tumblr, where it's uh, princelesscomic.tumblr.com, um, where much to the chagrin of, of people that uh, often follow my Tumblr, I don't just talk about Princeless. Um, <laughs> I talk about you know, issues surrounding that and other, other books I'm doing on there as well. Um, and I think those are, those are probably the best places and uh, you know, all the comics, all, or all the uh, Princeless and Pirate Princess stuff can obviously be found on uh, Comicsology. Um, or at your local comic book store, or uh, should it come down to that Amazon? So. Good God, man. Good God, man. So thank you again. Um, so for our listeners, we are not going to be recording on Monday due to San Diego Comic-Con, Comic-Con, Comic-Con. We urge you to visit graphicpolicy.com and catch all of Brett's awesome San Diego Comic-Con coverage there. Um, it is possible that we will be taping an episode next week on a different date, but definitely not on Monday. Um, but yes, be sure to visit us online, graphicpolicy.com or Twitter or graphic policy. On Twitter, I'm E-L-A-N-A underscore Brooklyn. That's Ilana Brooklyn. And I'm on Tumblr at Ilana Brooklyn without a space. And uh, this episode will be online for you to share via SoundCloud and Stitcher and all that um, by morning. And we will be uh, downloadable through iTunes in probably another hour or so. So if you are coming in late, you can go back and listen to the whole thing there. And you can share it with your friends and catch all of our other recent episodes online there. Again, graphic policy on iTunes and Stitcher, etc. SoundCloud. We're consistent. So thank you again, and uh, I'll talk to you soon, Jeremy, and thanks to our listeners. Absolutely. Thank you.